One of the mitzvahs in this coming week's parsha is al tikach meitar neshach v'sarbis v'yeresim alkech v'cheyach hicha imach. It's a prohibition to um, engage in an interest-bearing loan, either to be a lender who has the intention of collecting uh, interest on a loan, or to be a borrower. Um, who has intention in receiving money and uh, paying it back um, with interest. It's the prohibition of ribis, collecting interest-bearing loan, as we're all familiar with. However, there is also a halachic device which was developed over the generations known as a heteriska, which converts the loan into a kind of investment, thereby also transforming the interest into uh, dividends or profits from that business, which, of course, would be uh, permitted, but in order for the heteriska to function properly, it's imperative that the parties engaging in this heteriska, um, are first of all, aware, but also comprehend and appreciate the significance of the provisions that are outlined, the terms that are outlined in the heteriska. So, what I wanted to do this morning is kind of go over the development, first of all, the emergence, but then the development and the evolution of the heteriska. What is it? Many of us engage in it on a routine, uh, regular basis without necessarily uh, thinking about. Uh, what exactly the provisions and the terms are, and it's important to understand it in order for it to operate uh, properly and in order to engage sincerely and wholeheartedly in the process as it's supposed to be as it's supposed to be done. But just in terms of taking a step back, it's important to discuss, uh, to you know, to frame the entire discussion in the context that the Torah frames it. In Parashas Mishpatim, not here in Parashas Bahar, but in Parashas Mishpatim, where the pasuk says, "In Kesef Talvas Ami." If a person, not if, but when a person will lend money to his friend, Rashi, their comments and passions, Mishpatim, there are three times that the word im is used where it doesn't mean if, but when, when a person lends money to his friend. So the pastor concludes, He's not allowed to charge interest on the loan. But the, 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 the Torah phrases it as a mitzvah to lend money. And the Shulchan Aruch over here, um, someone in disagreement with the Rambam, but the Shulchan Aruch over here um, is of the opinion that this is a mitzvah to lend money without interest, not only to a person who's indigent, uh, you know, and 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 doesn't have you know resources to, to live, but even a person who's you know wealthy for all intents and purposes, but is illiquid or needs the money to you know for, for some other reason, there is still a mitzvah to lend that individual money as well. The Shulchan Aruch on the second line, but feel ashir so there's a mitzvah also to lend to the yashir. The Sma derives it from the Pasuk, which states quite uh, plainly, in Kesef Tavis Ami, it doesn't stipulate, it doesn't uh, you know, provide any caveats as to who exactly is included. Um, so, and therefore, it seems that this mitzvah applies, of course, the board to all Jews, regardless of their financial situation. There's a mitzvah to lend money um, to them if they are in need. And in fact, it's a fulfillment of Gemilus Chasadim. The Gemara tells us over here in that there are three um, advantages to Gemilus Chasadim over a regular tzedakah. Regular tzedakah um, can only be performed with one's money. Gemilus Chasadim can be performed bein begufo, bein And when a person gives tzedakah, it's a fulfillment not only of tzedakah, but a fulfillment also and then the Gemara continues that tzedakah only applies to those who are poor and in need. However, Gemilas Chasadim applies both to Ashirim as well as to Anim. So if you provide a loan, which is Gemilas Chasadim, even to someone who's wealthy, that's a fulfillment of, of Gemilas Chasadim. The third difference is Gemilas Chasadim applies bain to the Chayim, bain to the Mason, as opposed to tzedakah, it can only be fulfilled to the person who's alive. That's so it is a fulfillment. It's not miser, it's a loan. I understand. You're going to get it back. You have a, a fund. Then a, How, why could it be? I, I, so I have a miniature count as miser. I can't pay back. It's part well, of, of course it can't count as miser. No, it's not. Uh, you, you plan to get the money back. So, but there is a mitzvah to lend without, you know, without, um, without interest and a great mitzvah of, uh, of Gemilas Chasadim. This is, though, 
offset and counterbalanced by the often overlooked mitzvah of to pay back loans. The Gemara tells us here, Mesetha Subas, Prius Baal Mitzvah. It's a mitzvah to lend without interest, but it's also a mitzvah to pay back loans. Rashi there writes a surprising source for this mitzvah. Um, Rashi writes that the reason you have to pay back a loan is because of the Pasuk we had in Parshish Kedoshim, which told us, Eifa Sedek Vehin Sedek, you have to have honest weights and measures. But Eifa is a measure, Hin is a measure. So why does the Torah say, Eifa Sedek Vehin Sedek, if you have to have Eifa Sedek, you have to have Hin Sedek, so the more comments about Metziah, that your Hin, your Hain, should be Hain, your love should be love. It's a play on words. Hin is a measure, Hain means yes. So when you say yes, your word should be your word and that people should take you seriously. So if you say you're going to do something, you say you're going to pay back a loan, you should in fact um, pay back the loan in order to be truthful to your word. I would have said, and that's what the Radvaz says, no, it's because if you don't pay back a loan, you're a ganif. You took money under the assumption you were going to pay it back and you didn't pay it back. So you're a ganif. That's what the Radvaz uh, argues. However, Rashi's opinion um, seems to be, which is uh, again surprising, that paying back a, a refu- failure to pay back a loan, being delinquent in a loan, is not the equivalent of theft. Because theft is only Rashi writes like that at the beginning of Masech the Sanhedrin, that if I withhold paying back a loan, I'm not a Ganif. Ganif is only if I steal something, I enter into your Rishos, or I take something you know, that you entrusted with me and I don't return it when I'm supposed to return it. A loan, though, is by definition meant to be spent. Um, I have to return money in its stead, in its place, but if I fail to do so, I'm not necessarily a Ganif. I didn't steal an item per se, just I failed to make good on an obligation that I had. And Rashi's view is that that's not considered to be a Ganif. He, he derives it. Um, from the language of the Mishnah, because the language of the Mishnah is Dine Mamanis Bishlaisha, Gzelus Vechavalos Bishlaisha. How many Dayanim do you need in order to adjudicate Dine Mamanis? Three. Gzelus and Chavalos is three. What's Dine Mamanis if it's not Gzelus Vechavalos, which is theft and, and damages? Uh, torts. So the Gemara explains Haydas um, Vavos, loans, adjudicating debt. That also requires three Dayanim, just like Gzelus Vechavalos. One minute. But if I fail to pay back a debt, isn't that itself Gzela? So Rashi was forced into a box to say, no, they're really two separate categories. Failing to pay back a loan is one thing. Gzela is something else. The Radvaz, though, argues, as which I think is the most obvious approach, is that if you don't pay back a loan, you're a Ghana. You're certainly in violation of the Pasuk in Tehillim. Loi v'rasha v'lo yishalim. What? Yeah, so we could, uh, if we'd be learning Sanhedrin, we could go back and forth. How do you learn that Gemara and Sanhedrin? Rashi interprets based on Pshuta, right? The Mishnah seems to differentiate between the two different classifications of, of, of litigations. And the Radvaz seems to we'll have to learn that Gemara differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're certainly in violation of the Pasuk in Tehillim, Leve, Rosh, Yishalim. If a person borrows money, he doesn't pay back. He certainly is, is a Rosh. Okay, so there's a mitzvah to lend money without ribbis. There's also a mitzvah, though, to pay back um, loans. But some people simply cannot afford, and if a person is able to do this, it is a great mitzvah. There are many communities that have a gamach, that lend money without ribbis. It's a tremendous chesed um, that people can do and should continue to do. But sometimes, you know, particularly in our economy, which is a capitalistic economy, it's simply not possible for people to constantly be lending money without ribbis. That's, you know, their, their whole investment strategy is built upon the ability to you know, derive capital from capital. So uh, over time, they developed um, this device called the heteriska. But in order to understand, which trans- again converts the loan into a kind of investment, but in order to understand the nuances of the heteriska, we first have to just define what is a loan um, in contrast to other investment vehicles or other arrangements and other structures. What are the features 
that are unique to a loan. So one is raised over here by the Gemara above Mitzia, Ois Hey. The Gemara talks about Reb Chama, who had, a, who had a very interesting chap, and it's a good argument. He said, one minute, I can rent out my shovel, I can rent out my lawnmower, I can rent out my car, I can rent out my home and collect a fee, a rental fee. So I argued Rabbi Chama, why can't I rent out my money, my capital? I'll rent you $1,000, the rental fee will be $10 per week or $10 per day. You know, so, so why can't I rent out the capital with collecting a fee? And instead of calling it interest, we'll call it a rental fee. That was Rabbi Chama's argument. So the Gemara said that Rabbi Chama uh, was rejected. Rabbi Chama havi meiger zuza bepshita. He would lend out or rent out a zuz bepshita. Pshita is one-eighth of a zuz. So he collected on a daily basis one-eighth of a zuz as a rental fee for you know, having his zuz. So the Gemara says, biyuma kulo zuze. He lost all of his money. Meaning, Kaddish Baruch saw to it that he lost his money. This was, that he was wrong. Why? Why is this different than any other rental where you're allowed to accept a rental fee? The Gemara says it's not the same. He says, because a rental is returned intact. If I borrow a shovel, I borrow a lawnmower, or I borrow uh, you know, a house or a car, I return the item intact, and then I'm therefore entitled to collect a rental fee. However, a loan is Now, The whole purpose of the loan is to be spent. You don't return the same money that you, uh, that you borrowed. It's fungible. Um, now, what was Rabbi Chama thinking? It's a good, it's a good question. But uh, since money is different than these other items which are returned intact, uh, you can't consider it to be a rental because you don't return the item that you rented or that you borrowed. You return a different item. Um, it's, it's, it's equivalent to return a different item entirely. And therefore, it's already you know, considered to be a different, <laughs> a different discussion. Rashi, though, over here, though, picks up on another, again, feature of a loan. So the first feature of a loan is, right, it's not the same item that you return as opposed to a rental, where it is the same item that you give back at the end. Um, but also, the different, big difference also, is who bears the risk in this relationship. When I rent something to somebody else, so the renter has certain responsibilities, right? The tenant has certain responsibilities, but if an onus occurs, or you're just using it as he normally would, as was understood that he would use it, and it breaks, so then the, the, the owner bears the risk, bears the responsibility for it, not the renter. So uh, in, in, in this kind of relationship, the rental relationship, the risk is borne by the, by the owner, not by the renter. In a loan, who bears the risk if something happens to the money? So that's the borrower. The borrower bears the risk, bears the achrayas. So over here, you, you know, a rental is somewhat different from a loan in that who, in terms of who bears the achrayas. And that's why Rabbi Chama, you know, in terms of renting out his money, that's not considered to be you know, a valid uh, structure for deriving a fee, for lending out the money, because who bore the achrayas in that relationship was the, the, the renter. And that's different than other rentals where it's the owner who bears the achrayas. So in fact, Teisvis, that's how Rashi explains the Gemara. However, Teisvis suggests that was exactly Rabbi Chama's chap. That's what he thought he was doing. He rented out his money and he said... To the renter, I will bear responsibility. If something happens to the money, if you lose the money, I'll take the achrayas. So he thought by doing so that he solved the problem. And the Gemara said, no, you didn't. You solved one feature that it's not similar to a loan because here the risk remains with the owner as opposed to with the borrower, right? But you failed to satisfy the other um, uh, feature of avoiding, you know, ribis because... 
uh, in a certain sense, your structure was similar to a loan in that you didn't return the item that you rented, you returned a different item, right? It wasn't hadrobeine as opposed to a rental, which is hadrobeine. So he avoided one of the pitfalls, but he missed um, on the other one. But what we see from this Gemara is two critical features of a loan, which you, if you want to structure a heterisca properly, you're going to have to avoid these things. One is, well, one is impossible, right? You, you return uh, a loan is you return something else than that which you borrowed. So in that sense, it's not going to be similar to a rental. We can't go in the rental, you know, um, sphere. But in investment, right, even if there are dividends or profits that are derived, you could return that to a principal who invested with you. That's fine. It's not considered to be a loan. But what will define the difference between them is who bears the risk. Who bears the risk? In a loan, it's the borrower who bears the risk as opposed to in an investment or in a rental, it is the owner or it is the investor um, who bears the risk. Okay, so the... Huh? Rebbe avoided one of them. avoided one of them. He missed on the other, yeah. So the Gemara said that he's getting a fee for bearing the risk. He it's, it's not it's not interest. It's a fee for bearing. Right, but it was structured as a rental, not as an investment. We're going to get to your. Rental, it doesn't satisfy the requirements for rental. Rental means you return the same item that you borrowed. So rental is not going to work, but we're going to see if there's another um, possible structure that can work. So the commissioner tells us over here in the sense of that there's actually a, a, another right, critical uh, feature uh, or distinction between loans and investments, and that is not only who bears the risk, um, but whether the profits or dividends are guaranteed um, or not. In a loan, of course, there's a, a agreed-upon interest rate, which you know is not only in terms of risk of losing the investment, but the profits are kind of built into the structure of the relationship, as opposed to an investment where the profits are undetermined and, of course, um, uh, un- unreliable by definition. So the Mishnah says over here, You cannot accept or you cannot have a guaranteed investment. That means I invest money with you and you <laughs> promise to give a certain uh, return in exchange. Such a relationship is also because it's too similar to a loan is considered to be ribis. Rashi there writes, it's only ribis der abanon, it's only, you know, avak ribis. If you don't promise a um, uh, guaranteed return, you just accept the responsibility yourself. Meaning if the person invests with a certain individual and he says, I'll accept all of the risk, but I'm not promising any return necessarily. If there is a return, you know, then I'll give it back to you. So that relationship is only, you know, avak ribis. But Taisha says, let's say the, um, uh, um, the achrayas, is borne by the person who accepts the investment, and he promises a certain return in exchange, a guaranteed investment, meaning the person who receives the investment. Uh, the manager says, I'll guarantee any risk, and I'll promise you know, returns, but we're going to structure it as an investment, not as a loan. That's prohibited. A, because he's bearing the risk, but also, uh, it's prohibited in the right, so A, because he's bearing the risk, and also because he's promising a certain return. So if he promises a return, a certain, a specific return, and he also agrees to bear the risk, that, uh, which is known as Soin Barzo, meaning it's set in stone what you're going to receive in return, and there's no risk that's born. So then, you know, that would also be a violation, perhaps, of Ribbis de Raisa if he promises a specific return. So, in order for it to be an investment, there has to be risk that's born by the investor, and the returns cannot necessarily be guaranteed. Those are going to be the difference between a loan, where, of course, the risk is borne by the borrower, and he does promise a specific rate of return. That's the definite, you know, that's the fundamental difference between an investment as opposed to a loan. So, but what is acceptable is the structure that's mentioned by the Gemara over here in Bob Metziah, Kuv what's known as an ISCA. In ISCA. Now, this was not meant as a, as a workaround for loans. You know, people wanted to invest capital. This was a legitimate structure, which Chazal endorsed. 
and we'll see. We'll explain in a second why Chazal endorsed it and why he needed their endorsement if it's a legitimate business venture. So the reason why I needed their endorsement is the following: the way an ISSA should be structured is if there's one person who has capital, there's another person though who has investment strategy and willingness, you know, to manage the money. So the person with the capital can invest it with the manager, but again, he can't. He can't guarantee, you know, can't pass off all the risk and he can't guarantee a return. But what he can do in order to kind of negotiate the situation is give half of it as a milve or any part of it. It doesn't have to be half, but part of it as a loan. And that part is, you know, the, 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 um, the manager is going to return, you know, um, uh, intact, you know, without ribbis. But he bears the responsibility of that for the term of the investment. And then part of it is going to structure as uh, picodon. What that means is as an investment. And that risk is borne by the uh, investor and not by the manager. And they will, they're going to take both halves, though, or both parts or pieces of this investment. The part that was given as a loan, which was given to the manager, right, to return, you know, as it is, um, intact. And the part that was given as an investment, they're both going to invest it in the venture, half, and they'll split the profits according to the division of, you know, who had what investment in this entity. So let's say we split it half and half, and again, half and half is just easy because it means that they both have skin in the game. So he gives him half as a loan, he gives him the other half as an investment, the part that's the investment, you know, the, the investor bears the risk, the part that's a loan, the uh, manager bears the risk. They're going to both put it into the venture. They derive profits $100. They split the profits 50-50. Now, that arrangement required a haskama. Required a haskama. Why? Because part of it is a loan. And why am I investing with you? Um, you know, uh, uh, why are you managing my money? Is because I gave you a loan. So, in the, you know, as a kind of a, 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 a favor to me for lending you the money, you're going to ma- manage my half of the, of the investment, my half of the venture, which... Sounds a lot like ribis. Why are you managing my money in this investment? Um, because I lent you the other part of the money, the other part of the capital, to make you know to, to get the venture off the ground. So that looks a little bit like ribis, and therefore required the haskama of chazal. But even where that is allowed, the gemara, the mishnah, mishnah zvav metzia is quick to point out that um, that you have to pay me, you, know, you have to pay the manager for managing you know, the, the money of the investor. Otherwise, it, it is, it is a bak ribbis. You're only managing my money because I lent you half of the capital. So you have to pay him a nominal fee, a token fee, in order to demonstrate that this is not as a favor for lending him the money, which would be construed as interest, but rather he's doing it because I'm paying him a nominal fee. The Mishnah there mentions about Mitzia, you cannot advance um, 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 uh, inventory to a salesman uh, on the condition that you receive all of the profits. Um, and, you know, he'll get half the inventory, the other half of the inventory, you'll bear responsibility for a half will be his responsibility. You're, you know, you're the investor for the other half. We're splitting the responsibility unless you pay him, uh, you know, you pay the manager for managing your half of the inventory or for selling off your half of the inventory and deriving the profit. So you have to give him something for managing your half of this uh, situation over here. So that structure is acceptable, what's known as an ISCA, which means they both have skin in the game. I, you know, the investor bears some of the risk, but he's also part of his investment is guaranteed and that's structured as a loan. The other half, um, you know, is where he's going to profit from and that's managed by the, you know, by the borrower or by the manager. And for that, he has to pay him a nominal um, or token fee. But this arrangement doesn't get us to where we need to get to. Why? Because investors who want to derive a profit from their capital um, don't want to bear any risk at all, right? And they want to be guaranteed a certain rate of return. And over here, if you're investing this in any entity, whatever venture we decide to invest in, half as a loan and half as an ISCA uh, or half as a picadon, where you know, you're watching my money, but I bear the responsibility, 
we don't have a guaranteed rate of return, and I do have uh, some exposure on the part that's, you know, that's a picado and on the part that's an investment. Um, so is there any way around this that we could kind of get closer to the loan structure where I don't bear too much risk and the investor, you know, is guaranteed a certain rate of return? So that's where the heter iska um, comes onto the scene. The heter iska was developed and first articulated by um, Remendo Avigdors. Who is Remendo Avigdors? We don't know that much about him. Um, we know he was the Rav in Ludmir, which was in Ukraine, and then he became the Rav in Krakow, which is where he you know, rose to some prominence. But we don't know that much about him other than the fact that he is the originator of the Heteriska. Uh, they call him the Maram, Moreno Harav Rev Mendel, uh, Menachem. So they, that's why he's known as the Maram, it's the Konas Maram, the Heteriska was his uh, original idea. He lived in, in, in 1599, right, the generation after the Ramah in Krakow, um, right after the Rishonim. Uh, but the Heteriska was not printed until, the Nachos, until it was appeared in the Nachos Shiva. Nachos Shiva is the collection, official collection of Shtaris, um, when all the different Shtaris, the Ksuba, the Tanoim, all the other Shtaris that we use in Yiddishkeit were collected in the Nachos Shiva, which was published by the son of the Taz in like the late 1600s. Son of the Taz, also, uh, Taz was also from Ludmir and then moved to Krakow to be the, the Rav. But um, anyway, so that was published in the Nachos in the late 1600s, the first time that it appears, but the, the commentaries on the side of Shulchan Aruch are discussing it already. The Sma, who doesn't have a commentary in Yerodea, which is how appears, wrote a Kuntris on the Heteriska, the Levush was corresponding with this Maram, the Bach, so a lot, all the G'day Le'olam were corresponding with this Maram, which, you know, Virtual the fact they were corresponding with him lends credibility. Yeah, okay, but that was the Takana was developed by the Maram, was based on this structure of the Iska with one with one linchpin, with one critical chap, which was not his. He borrowed that from the Chumas Hadeshan and then implanted in the Hatariska. This is the kunz of the Hatariska, is what's um, suggested by the Chumas Hadeshan, already appears here in the uh, Shah Ois um, Yun. And that is that. Um, uh, in this kind of arrangement, which is an ISCA, right, so half of it is a picadon, half of it is a, a loan, I have some exposure, but also, you know, um, and also not guaranteed um, returns, what I can do is give it to the investor and say, look, you know, invest this money for me, half is going to be for you, you invest it, that you return to me at the, you know, at some deter- predetermined uh, you know, date and time. Um, if the money gets lost, or you're going to claim the money gets lost, you're going to have to bring me witnesses as such that the money got lost. And those two witnesses, I can stipulate who they should be. So in the original version of Takanas Maram, um, he said, I could stipulate that the witnesses be from faraway lands, where there's no way you could possibly bring witnesses. I could stipulate I want two witnesses from Iceland and two from Hong Kong. The Sma and the Lavush and the Bach said, that's too much. You can't stipulate witnesses that have no possible way of ever appearing and no knowledge of the, of the goings-on of this person's business. But I can say to him is, if you're going to claim losses, I want witnesses to verify the losses, who, you know, I can stipulate who they be. In the Takanas Marama, it was stipulated that they be the Rav and the Shots. Why the Rav and the Shots? Because they were there, but probably had no idea of or could verify or attest to, you know, how his venture was going. So the likelihood of them actually knowing and actually coming to testify was very low. But I could say, if you want to, you know, claim losses, you know, on my half of it, uh, there was a picadon, you have to bring witnesses to testify to the losses. He also said that you have to um, um, bring witnesses to testify that there were no profits. You claim there were no profits? Uh, you have to bring witnesses that there's no profits. Again, the Sma and the Bach and the Vush felt that was too far, that you can't demand witnesses that there were no profits, there was too much of Arama, but what you can do is demand that he take a Shvua. You claim there were no profits from this venture, you have to take a Shvua, and we can scare him in the taking of the Shvua, we can do it between Ashrei and Uvo 
which means in front of shul, and we can light candles and may darken the room and make it very scary and intimidating. But we can, the shul is intimidating anyway, if you appreciate what it is, but we can do circumstances, you know, there's, uh, superficial things to make it really intimidating. And uh, in the hopes that he won't want to take a shul, that there were no profits in this investment. In lieu of, you know, uh, of the profits that I was hoping to derive from this investment, what I say to him, look, is, you know, I have a claim here. I am willing to um, 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 forego my claim or to settle my claim for a specified, you know, dividend or what was referred to as deme hispashros, a settlement amount. So I can say, look, if you don't want to take a shvua that you had no profits, you don't want to bring witnesses or you can't bring witnesses that you had, you know, losses, I'm willing to take as a settlement claim you know, a specific amount um, in return. The shach added that could even be a rate of return, meaning I could say, I'm not going to take $1,000 as a settlement fee. I could say it's 10% of the investment, you know, that you know, compounded annually. Or I could do different things, um, even if it's dependent on time, which looks a lot like an interest rate. The Taz felt that was too far, that was too similar to an interest rate, but the shach allowed it, that that could also be the settlement arrangement that we have if you can't verify the losses or the, um, the manager can't verify um, or can't attest to the fact that there were no profits. So, in effect, what the Maram took this chap of the Truma Sadeshna, Truma Sadeshna was talking about it in a different context, that this structure could be allowed. He took this and he put it into a star, which could then be signed by both parties upon entering what was, you know, ostensibly a loan, that uh, we could restructure it as an investment. And even though part of the investment, I have some exposure, um, you have some exposure, and the rate of return is not guaranteed, we can say, look, if you, you know, I say to the manager, if you can't guarantee, you know, if you can't take a shvua that there were no returns, you're not willing to bring witnesses that there were losses, we can settle on this, demay uh, hispashros, and this settlement amount, and that's what you could pay me instead. And that was the hopes that, uh, you know, that, that, uh, that you would receive that kind of rate of return in exchange, and your kind of exposure, therefore, was, was somewhat limited by virtue of this heterisco. That's the heterisco. Huh? Is that haroma working the same way even if there really were no losses? Oh, so... We run into a few problems. The first, that was the head the Takan of the Maram, and it, it went through a few evolutions and adjustments. And he was he you know worked with the different Gdayim of the time to come up with a formulation that worked. It was adopted by throughout the Paiskim, you know, throughout the generations. There are a few uh, blind spots. The first is that um, let's say we know that it didn't generate any returns. I can't make him take a shvur to something we all know is false. Let's say. There's no way that it received uh, returns. I, I know it didn't receive returns. Or let's say it's not. There is no expectation that it's going to receive a return because it's not for investment purposes. It's uh, for personal use. There is no expectation that he's going to receive a return. And let's say you know could have a certain situation where there is no way that he received a return. Today we know of many structures, right? If a bank lends money to buy a private home, the bank writes the check to the seller. The money doesn't even enter into the hands of the of the you know of the borrower right it goes directly the bank makes sure of that that it goes directly from the bank to the to the seller of the home so i know exactly where the money went there's no way that you invested in some other venture which you know was profit bearing or if it's a margin account right a margin account is held by the bank that you don't you don't ever have cash that reaches your hands or student loans that goes directly from you know one pocket of the school to another pocket of the school so that's not really never came to your hand. So there's certain investments where there's clearly no way that you derived a profit or a dividend. Um, say, say nothing of the fact that even if you did invest in something, which we all know what you invested in, and it's in the newspapers that the stock went down, so then how could I ask you to take a shvua, which we know um, is going to be a shvua, a shvua shav. So the price can debate it if I actually gave you the money, but I know what you invested in, 
can I really, you know, ask you to take a, and I know it went down, can I ask you to take a shvur where there's no you know, way that you earned a return on it? But it's even worse when there's no way that it even entered into your hands. You never, you never touched the money that you could possibly invest it in that. So because of that, this is kind of like, it doesn't work for those kinds of structures and situations. So because of that, the Paisim developed a different workaround. And that is that in the Hetariska, a language could be inserted, that's over here in the, um, in the Chuvas of Rameyer Arik. Um, that what you can do is we can say when the uh, manager takes the um, investment money from the investor he can say that he um, is transferring him or giving him a stake not only in the money that he's you know, investing with him but he gives him a stake in all of his ASEC toys, in all of his investments that could be profit bearing so I transfer you know when, when you invest with me I give you not only a chalek half of the investment that, you know, the venture that I'm, I'm borrowing the money for, but I give you a chaluk in all my other profit-bearing ventures, and therefore, you can ask me to take a shvua that none of my other profit-bearing ventures could have satisfied, you know, the, the, you know, the, the profits that, that you feel you're entitled to. And, and instead of making me take a shvua, we can agree upon a settlement amount, which will be, you know, a kind of an interest rate that's fixed um, per year. This, this works, again, if you're talking about someone who at least has other investment opportunities. What if this person is borrowing the money to make a chasana, you know, as a paying off chayvis? The There's no way, huh? The settlement rate is based on the actual loan amount. Correct. So even though all your ventures, which is a... But you might have other investments that could satisfy that investment rate. Yeah, that dividend rate. Yeah, but it's already... We're pushing the limits. What if there's no way that guy, there's no way this guy has other has other investments? It's clear he has no other investments. So at that point, there are even contemporary parties can continue to debate the issue. Some are a little bit more hesitant to allow heterisk in that setting. In the Sefer Torah, Haribis, he quotes there from Rabbi Yashiv, that, and others today are also a little bit uncomfortable with uh, heterisk in that situation, where you know buying an apartment and they clearly have so many favors and no other investment uh, vehicles. However, even there, the Torah Haribis quotes from Shlomo Zalman that he allowed it, and why? Because you never know. You never know. He could yash on something. He could come across something. He could have a windfall. Things can happen even in, a, you know, Yeshua Hashem Karifayin, and maybe he had some other investment opportunity that uh, some other, you know, profit-bearing entity that came across his desk. And you never know. And therefore, you're at least entitled to make him take a shvua that he has no profits from the loan or from any of his other investments. And once, uh, you know, this loan, I'm pretty sure, because it went straight to the house, but at least his other investments, I can ask him to take a shvua. And then, in lieu of the shvua, we can agree on a uh, settlement amount or, you know, a uh, agreed amount, a uh, payout of what you're going to pay him. Yeah? Huh? So we have a problem today. I don't want to, I don't, let's forget even he wants to take a shvua. They don't care about a shvua. Right? This only works for from Jews who actually care about Shavuah saints, candles, and scary stuff with Sifrei Torah. So it's true. So today, at least in Eretz Yisrael, some of the Paiskim where that, that's a bigger concern, uh, talk about instead of asking him to take a Shavuah, asking him to undergo a forensic audit on uh, this um, investment and all of his investments. If you claim there's no profits and then this went to a loss, so some of the Paiskim in Eretz Yisrael I saw are, are, are substituting Shavuah for forensic audit, which is scary for, you know, even the most honest of individuals. It's a scary thing. Um, but because, again, this is a, okay, this structure is available. We have to kind of understand what you're doing and, and you know, put it into place. Um, so a lot of people might not do that. So in the 1920s, this was um, the grandson of Reblebele Eger, was Mayor Azriel Eger, was a Chesidish uh, Rebbe in Lublin. 
So he suggested that perhaps we can solve the problem for all Jews and make this very easy, is that together with Hataras Nadarim and Erev Hashanah will make people say, Baal you don't have to write down the Hetariska. It doesn't have to be written. It can be articulated. We usually write it down, so it should be more formalized. And maybe people should take it seriously, but it doesn't have to. It can be said that together with Hatar Sadaram, they said, All my investments this year should be Alpi Heter Iska Shel Maram. That was it. Mutalach, 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 Hare call, you know, Asakai should be structured according to the Heter Iska of the Maram. And he thought that the Heter Iska Kloli, he thought this was a tremendous thing. He printed it in a country called Takanus Rabbim and passed it around to the Gedalim at the time. The Imreyemis signed off on it, as did many other Gedalim in Poland. They thought this was a great, a great um, Takana. Others, as usual, were not happy about it. Uh, Rabbi Zalman was very opposed to it. Aaron Cutler wrote a tshuva in the Mishnah Rabbi Aaron um, against the Heter Iska Kloli because people have no idea what they're agreeing to. And more than that, um, it, it's one-sided. If I enter an agreement with you, I have no idea that you uh, stipulated a Mesiris Maidah at the beginning of the year that all of your investments are structured based on a Heter Iska Koli. I, I didn't know that. And people don't, don't understand what it is. Ramesha writes over here in the Gris Maisha that a Heter Iska is not pixie dust that you can sprinkle on all of your loans. It makes the, it's, you know, hocus pocus. It makes the Isra of Ribis go away. It's not a skula. It's not a, you know, kamea. It's not some sort of incantation or, or potion that you can drink and, you know, allows you to be Superman and violate the lochus uh, of ribis. It's a it's an investment structure, and that people have to understand what they're undertaking, and uh, you know, and both obviously both parties be aware of it. So there are many parts who were very hesitant about the heteriska kloli. However, even Ramosha endorses the heteriska kloli in a bank. This was a tshuva to Rabbi Tenler about setting up a firm bank in um, Muncie that was going to lend out money. He says in a bank it's different. Why? Because in a bank nobody knows all the bylaws of the bank, but it is clearly understood when you do business with a bank that you are going to follow the uh, protocols of the bank. And you submit to follow those protocols, whatever they may be, even if you don't understand the intricate financial structures. So, so too, if it's a heter, it's clearly in a bank, Ramosha um, was a little bit more open to it, and of course today in Eretz Yisrael, all of the banks, each bank has their own nusach of the Heter Iska Kloli to cater to their sensitivities and their, uh, their you know, specific situations and structures they deal with. Uh, you can find them online. They're, they're very open about it, very transparent about the Heter Iskas that they use, and a Heter Iska Kloli in a bank, people are a little bit more open to it. To just to do that as a private investor, very, most places are very... The public bank was owned yeah. by Safra that the Heter Iska hanging in the bank branch... Very nice. It's very nice, yeah. So this was adopted by many of the Paiskim, and it seems to, you know, if you do it properly, it's great. You know, do you have to feel bad about it? So over here in the Maisara from the Goin, which again doesn't have explanations, there's no Nimu Kim over here in the Maisara, but he says, You can't do any of these heteriskas. And it's surprising because the Talmud, the main Talmud of the Goin was of Nefshachim. Nefshachim has his own, the Rebchen has his own Nusuk of the heteriska. So, what's going on over here? And why was the Gon opposed to it? So, the, many points to explain the comments of the Gon based on his comment or his opposition to a din in the Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch says over here, that if you have a uh, Malamid who teaches someone else's child, Tairo, Halacha, for Schar, and then, which is, again, I guess counterintuitive, but let's say the Balabas who employs this Malamid needs a loan. So, the Malamid can, I guess he is a little bit more liquid assets because he puts his money underneath his pillow. The Balabas probably invested in other things, so he probably has more liquid cash, so he agrees to loan the Balabas money. Um, so, but he's in the Balabas' employ, so the Balabas is going to be paying him money to teach his child. It could look a little bit like ribis because the Malamed lent the Balabas money, then the Balabas is not only going to pay him back the money for the loan, he's, gonna, he's 
He's employing him, so it looks a little bit like ribbis. So Shulchan Aruch says, this is a problem of ribbis. What can you do? Have the malamed give the money to the balabos as a matano. Matano. Wink, wink. And he knows that the, balab- the balabos is going to pay him back. So Shulchan Aruch allows it. The Goin says no. In the name of the Rajba, Haromas Ribisu. This is a workaround. This is a subterfuge. This is a farce. It's a fraud. This is not a matana. It's a loan. We all know it's a loan. No one has no intention of you know, being Michael the money, and the Baal has no intention of taking the poor man's money. So the guy in hell, that such Arama is also. So the guy is obviously opposed to Arama and Ribis, and we have a complicated relationship in Halacha with Haramas, with workarounds. Sometimes it's with great uh, you know, acceptance we have a Harama. If you're dealing with a Bukhar Bahama, no one wants a Bukhar Bahama, it's Halachic nuisance around. You, know, you can't do anything with this holy cow, so you have to figure out what. Uh, it's a problem. If it's a problem, so it's so better to sell it to a guy when it gives birth, and you avoid because you know they they praise uh, praise can praise uh, harama there. When it comes comes to mechiras chametz, we're kind of benign about it, but some paiske you know we're kind of neutral about it. Some paiske were very opposed to harama there, and other areas certainly would view it with disdain. So over here, you know, it's, it's, it's somewhat complicated. Either way, the Torah Tamima, though, who was a banker, I don't know how successful of a banker, but the Torah Tamima, Baruch Hu Epstein, the son of the was a banker. So he writes in his comments over here in Parshas Bahar, he an explanation of why all of a sudden it happened that the Heteriska exploded on the scene in the uh, 17th uh, century. Why? Because if you know, obviously, you know, history of economies, that was the Industrial Revolution. So until that time, we lived in an agrarian society. So people made their money off of agriculture. So they borrowed money only as a, a, you know, a provident loan, meaning they needed the money to get seed for the next season, and then we're going to pay it back. Let's say they had a bad crop, so you get you know money in order to plant again and derive another crop you know in order to pay back the loan. But it was only you know the it wasn't an investment vehicle. However, as society moved away from an agrarian culture with the industrial revolution, people be we moved to a capitalistic uh, kind of society and economy. So it's money that makes money. So then these structures became much more necessary, particularly for Jews who weren't entitled or allowed to own land in many of the countries in which they lived. Um, so this became very important for the survival of the Jewish community, and that's why our attitude towards it shifted. That this was something that was necessary. Kind of like Hillel, you know, saw that people weren't lending money close to the Shnasa Shemitah because uh, the loans were going to get canceled by the Shemitah. So in order and people need capital in order for the, you know, free flow of capital for the economy to work, Hillel established a principle. So, uh, you know, one can make the comparison as well to the Heterisk of the Maram that came in with the Industrial Revolution, and that's why we viewed it kind of positively. But it is important, since it is somewhat of a harama, the place can say you have to be careful when you're employing these kinds of documents to not call it a loan, and not call it a lender and a borrower. You should call it an investment with dividends and profits in order to lend credibility um, to the document. At the same time, last thing over here, Rav Moshe and Igris Moshe, as well as the Chsam Sefer, though, are sensitive to the fact that sometimes these um, structures or investments or partnerships end up in a dispute in, in secular court. And secular court... The, there is a whole case literature, you know, uh, case law precedent of how heteriskas are litigated in secular court today. It's a very interesting discussion how the courts interpret heteriskas. It has a lot to do with how it's worded and how it's explained to the court. But there's a fear on behalf of the investor that, uh, you know, the court is not going to necessarily understand this. And also, necessarily, we don't have a basin that has collection capabilities, whereas the court does, and you're afraid that the person might be delinquent in providing the profits or ever, you know, could be returning to you. So you might want to seek, um, you know, relief in a secular court, and there will be to your benefit, or at least some believe it's to your benefit to have it structured as a loan, and, uh, you know, as a lender and a borrower. So Ramesha and the Chsam Seifer, Ramesha writes over here, Vim, how lawyers, 
her lawyers is a fantastic you know translation transliteration of lawyers lawyer to lichtoy they don't want to do this as her mortgage shuhuberibis they don't want to they don't want to do it in a heterisco fashion they want it to be a lender and a borrower because they know the courts will be able to understand it so the some safer already allowed such a structure he allowed there to be documents even though we're going to use a heterisco he allowed there to be documents which do state with regards to this relationship one of a lender and a borrower the heterisco should say that this you know um, uh, overrides the terms of the original loan documents, but those loan documents can exist. And even the heteriska should say only as far as the Allah is concerned, meaning if you're in Beisden, but if they will want to seek relief in court, they have the right to treat it as a loan with a lender and a borrower only for the benefit of the secular court in order to retrieve losses which they're otherwise entitled to as an investment in Beisden. So the heteriska has to be worded very carefully in order to make sure that you preserve um, you know, the rights and the privileges of the investor, you know, they would have in Basin in case it ends up in a secular court. Lamaisa is, though, it's a very appropriate way to do it. People should understand the provisions if they engage in heteriscas routinely. Um, but of course, that doesn't minimize the great mitzvah to, uh, you know, to lend money and do it properly.